Hi, and welcome to the Sales Enablement Pro Podcast. I'm Shauna Simawang. Sales enablement is a constantly evolving space, and we're here to help professionals stay up to date on the latest trends and best practices so that they can be more effective in their jobs. Today, I'm excited to have Bana Kaur from AWS join us. Bana, I would love for you to introduce yourself, your role, and your organization to our audience. Sure. Thank you very much, Shauna, and thank you for having me here today. Also, hello, everyone who's listening to this podcast, and a shout out to all enablement professionals all over the world. My name is Bana, and oftentimes people think of a banana without an A to remember my name here in the UK. I look after the UK public sector enablement here at Amazon Web Services, been with the company for seven and a half years now in different functions and different countries. I currently uh, spearhead the uh, enablement function here in public sector and help the organization grow to what it is today and reach our organizational outcomes. Apart from work, I have a huge passion for ID&E. I try to call it IDEA where possible, where A stands for action. So it's inclusion, diversity, equity, and action. And I've co-founded the EMEA chapter along with two other Amazonians to reach where we are today. I love to mentor and empower different leaders on different topics, and I'm a career coach as well. So that's a bit about me, Shauna, and I look forward to our discussion today. Absolutely. Likewise. And I look forward to digging into that with you as well. Now, to get started, though, for our audience and and sales enablement, which I'm sure they can all relate to this, you are extremely passionate around driving excellence in sales performance. So I'd love to start there. From your perspective, how does enablement strategically influence sales performance? A lot of organizations, including ours, are focused on growth. And I truly believe as an enablement function, we have a key responsibility and also pleasure to be part of that journey as well. So if I look at my current role for the UK, we're trying to hit a $1 billion business this year. And enablement is helping to drive insights that would help sellers in different orgs and different roles from ISRs, account managers, business developers, partner teams, et cetera, to drive those valuable conversations with their customers and help them on their key missions. So I really think when enablement is aligned to the business and also aligned to revenue ops or business ops, depending on how organizations define it, that you can influence strategically as well. The last piece that comes to mind is how enablement can play a role in reducing time to market. So when you're enabling teams to be more adaptive versus reactive, you are already helping in reducing that time to launch and to ramp up faster. And finally, the downstream impact of this is having more time and more focused resources to drive high velocity decisions and build better products from there. So in a nutshell, that's in three different ways how I see enablement playing a role in the business strategy. I couldn't agree more. And one of your areas of expertise is is really around building everboarding programs that continue to align to those organizational goals. 
I'd love to hear more about your everboarding programs. What are some of your best practices for building everboarding programs that drive sales performance? And maybe in other words, what does good everboarding look like? I really believe in the power of everboarding because it also shows that you're a learn-it-all organization versus know-it-all organization. I truly believe in any function, learning does not stop when you hit that 90-day mark that oftentimes is the industry standard for onboarding. That continuous learning journey is ongoing in so many different ways and functions. And to build a good everboarding program, I think you could look at it and dissect it into different ways. The first one is the discovery piece. So truly understanding what are some of the problem statements that you're solving for. In today's world, we have a tsunami of information and people are overwhelmed with how much they should get up to speed on. So an everboarding program should sometimes also be a refresher. We have recharge programs here. And I really think some of those key skills that a lot of people learn in their early selling journey are needed very much in everboarding programs. Examples that come to mind include prospecting, objection handling, mission understanding, negotiation skills. Those are key to any seller in any role. And sometimes those refreshers can be absolutely valuable to drive those customer conversation and reduce time to ramp. The second piece that comes to mind is making sure you're always up to date with what's happening in the market. And that brings me to the second point on product knowledge and market understanding. So a lot of SaaS companies have so many solutions and products that they're trying to bring to market. And one way to really do that is certifying reps and making sure that they're actually going through the knowledge check and getting certified on a specific use case. So I'm a firm believer in having certifications on any new product releases and also on new market trend understanding, because that also shows your customer that you are meeting them where they need you to be as well. And last but not least, an everboarding program or, or a matter of fact, any enablement program should align to business objectives. And that includes successful OKRs to measure, measure its success and iterate from there. So if I zoom out, those are the three key things I would look at from an everboarding perspective and build from there. Yeah, absolutely. So Banya, what would you say the importance is of having everboarding programs rather than just onboarding programs? Yeah. So one of the things that are important in in any organization is staying agile and moving to a learning journey continuously. So what I mentioned before learn it all versus know it all because of the pace and the agility that the market is moving towards. So I think having everboarding programs is not a nice to have. It is an absolute must have, in my humble opinion, to be successful and have your position in the market lead and truly help to solve one customer problem at a time. And a beautiful way to do that is help grow the business and grow your own knowledge as well, whether you're a seller, a partner, 
or even someone in enablement, because I believe that you should enable the enablement org as well. And you do that through creating everboarding programs to maintain that high performance, the, that retention, and also hit your OKRs at the end of the day. Absolutely. Everboarding is increasingly important, especially as you try to make sure that you're maximizing the productivity of sort of your in-seat sales team. Now, your Everboarding programs have reached upwards of 400 employees globally. What tips do you have maybe for our audience who are also trying to create enablement programs on a global scale? Yeah, sure. So I really believe that scale happens a bit easier than what we expect when we're solving for the right problem. Because what I've noticed at Amazon, as an example, the problem statement is often shared across different functions, across different geographies versus only the actual customers that you're looking after. So that brings me to the first part of the problem solving, which is ensuring that the discovery phase is done really well. And what I mean by that is what problem to solve first. And from there, you move into the solutioning. So enablement could and should, in my opinion, spend a bit of time on the discovery phase, understanding first, is that problem statement shared across? Is it a global or regional problem only? And you do that in asking the same set of questions as an example across the board to understand who's the customer at this point. What are some of the key missions that they're solving for? Who are their customer profiles that they look at at the moment? What is their impact in the industry? What vertical do they sit in, et cetera? What are some of the KPIs that they're assessed against? Because more often than not, sellers have similar metrics but different numbers that they need to hit, right? So that's one way of how to approach it when you're trying to scale as well um, before you move into build mode. The second part, and that brings me to the um, ID&E perspective because I'm a huge believer into uh, getting different perspectives and getting content reviews and content even being created by different people across the company and having that cross-functional and cross-pollination happening to build the best products you have so they get that impact that they need. And the third piece, if I'm thinking of the power of scaling, is what happens afterward. afterwards. So how do you make sure that you tie in your input with your output through what we call a mechanism? That's when you build through iterations and have a phased approach and a very clear feedback process built in and weaved in and you hold yourself and your stakeholders accountable to make sure that whatever you're building is insisting on the highest standards and also really impacting the end customer and helping them move faster towards their mission. And if you put those three things together, that's when a beautiful Venn diagram is shaped and you see the impact of what we think of as power of scaling. I think that is amazing. And you have done a phenomenal job building these programs at scale. Now, as you mentioned in your introduction, you are also a co-founder of the EMEA Inclusion, Diversity and Equity chapter. I think you also had action at the end of that at AWS. How do you incorporate 
IDE best practices into your enablement programs? And and what would you say the impact is of doing so? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Love that question, Sean. And thank you for addressing it. And especially in today's world where IDE is really helping a lot of customers understand what what is important and how to create that diverse product line, best programs, and build better. Um, so to achieve this, in my opinion, the first thing you could also look at is how you could address some of the biases we all have. So everyone has biases, in, including myself, and those are just the mental shortcuts you have in your programs and the content you produce. So the first thing that I try to address when I have a new program is build an advisory board, have different people with different experiences and background to help build this up. So you can cover it from different angles. If we focus on and double click on the enablement programs, you could also have people from different functions that you look after. Sales ops or biz ops can be part of that or should be part of that. Um, The other piece is having different and equal representation from your customers. For example, different geographies that you cover, different countries, different verticals, different personas, etc. to bring that experience that you actually need to build that best product. And if anyone wants a practitioner tip, one of the things that really helped me uncover some of those biases and understand them better is the Harvard Project Implicit Test to uncover some of those biases and address them. The second piece you could do is also having diverse speakers when you build those programs. So building the content and having the content reviews and the advisory board is one thing, and then you move into the build phase, right? And that's where diverse speakers can help refine their program, bring that message to different folks. So that can already embed representation within having different levels of seniority and creating opportunities for underrepresented groups throughout the process versus just calling it global and having speakers from one country as an example. The last topic, which is a, a dear topic to my heart and something that I'm trying now to learn more about is neurodivergence. So a lot of products that we create sometimes have maybe technical jargon, um, not the simplest visual aids that people should understand. So we can take a step back and think from different perspectives. And throughout that advisory board that you build, you can understand the different needs. For example, how do you build for people with visual impairment? How do you build for people with dyslexia? And understanding your neurodivergence customers in different sectors can be overwhelming at the beginning, but it is an absolute must to have that inclusive and best product. So those are the three key ingredients that come into play for enablement. And the key ingredient from all of that is weaved in through communication. So when you have communication flowing bottom-up, top-down, sideways, you make sure that you're using also that inclusive language and embodying inclusion throughout to make adjustments where you need and staying humble. And as I mentioned at the beginning, the A part comes into play. So it's not enough to say we care about IDE, but not embed IDE throughout the content and the programs that we build. 
because every seller deserves an equal chance to have the best impact they could have on their customer. And it starts with the enablement team to do that. So that's my two cents on IDE and enablement, Shauna. I love that. Last question for you, because recently I saw a post from you on LinkedIn around how generative AI is, is really transforming businesses, including some of the ways that it influences the IDE space. How do you think AI will influence how you create and deliver enablement programs in the next year and maybe even beyond? I really believe that in today's world, we have far more accessibility on the topic of AI than ever before, thanks to generative AI. AI has been around for a while now, and whether we thought about it or not, it has shaped up how we learn in different ways, whether we think of it in personalized self learning and customized versions of, of learning into chatbots, which is quite prominent in today's world, uh, having virtual assistants, uh, simulated learnings. That has all been around for quite some time in today's world. What I believe is important is how we're using it and the ethical framework around it, because it's here to stay. And I really think those tools can help us if used right, and if it's stress test and the accuracy is measured, that it can help us be more productive and also can help us reduce our time to impact, our time to market. Because when we have that embedded in our processes, an example in our text summarizing that we could leverage, for example, generative AI for, it can already have an impact on our sellers. And that will have the domino effect on the end customer that we are already helping them on their mission, right? So I do believe that AI and generative AI can absolutely personalize learning experiences and provide real-time performance insights, let alone automate content delivery. I really think it's really important to develop those mechanisms and I would also stress the ethical framework around it to build for impact and build for performance. And I'd like to tie that with what I mentioned in one of my uh, answers earlier today about having a more agile and adaptive selling team. And you do that when you use the resources that are available to you to help your learners grow in their own journey and remain obsessed with the right technology at the right time and the right way. I think that is phenomenal. Benya, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your insights. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed listening and having that discussion with you, Shauna. To our audience, thanks for listening. For more insights, tips, and expertise from sales enablement leaders, visit salesenablement.pro. If there's something you'd like to share or a topic you'd like to learn more about, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you.